here this morning. Thank you for the joy in our hearts. We just welcome you to come and to move, to speak, to speak a life, to refresh our souls and lead us beside those still waters. that are new today. For your grace that follows us. So come and have your way in our hearts, in our lives. We welcome you. As we were all once lost, but now we're all found. And so we thank you, Lord.
First verse, one more time.
Lord God, we come before you now. We thank you for that amazing grace. If it wasn't for your grace, Lord, we would not be here. We would be nothing but the objects of your wrath. But God, you pour out your grace abundantly upon us to bring us to faith in you and to sustain us from day to day. You pour out your grace in general, Lord God, over the whole world. You reign on the just and the unjust. But we come and we thank you for that amazing, amazing grace. The penalty paid by Jesus that we might walk in freedom, our chains gone and being, being set free. Thank you, God, that we can enter into your presence. We can boldly approach the throne of grace. We can come before you, Lord God, as your dearly, dearly beloved children. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Take two minutes. Steve gave you five. I only get to preach once in a while, so you get the whole load today, so you only get two minutes to greet each other. So... <laughs> <laughs> Part of my two minutes, right? Uh, yeah, Let's, let's bring it back in. We're glad you're here this morning. If you're with us uh, here in the sanctuary, on the patio, in the loft, or if you're watching us online, we, uh, we really appreciate that you're with us today. Uh, I am Dave Brogren, um, associate pastor here, uh, and uh, Pastor Steve and Jolene are taking some well-deserved time off. And so uh, just kicking back and enjoying on this holiday weekend. Can you believe it's Memorial Day? Boy, it comes around in a hurry. Comes around in a hurry. This morning, um, I'm going to be continuing with the theme of faith that Steve has been on. He's been preaching through Hebrews 11. I'm jumping back into the Old Testament this morning in the prophet Haggai. And we're going to be looking at uh, what God is speaking to the people of Israel. And I think it's a word for us for today. 
It's so easy, folks, to, to look at some of the things that have happened in the past. Uh, as you read scripture, as you are uh, going through the word and, and you, you look at it as simply as a historical event. But you know, God is still speaking to us through those historical events and those words are still applicable to us today. So we want to look at what the prophet has to say here. Haggai was a prophet during the time of the return to the promised land after the Babylonian uh, captivity. And he and Zechariah were the ones who were prophesying when the people had come back into the land and they're starting to get settled. And, and um, so here we're, we're picking up in our, in our story here about uh, where... The people are back, they're settled in, they, they came and they, they kind of got things cleared a little bit, but they also got established, you know, we got to get out there and you got to start your farm, you got to take over and get that vineyard cleaned out so you can start producing again those orchards, whatever it is that you're doing, we got to get our sheep together, figure out what, all the stuff, clear some areas so that they've got a place to graze, it's not just you know, living among rubble and that sort of thing. And, and uh, we got to have a place to live. And so we got here, we got to build our houses and we've got to do all this kind of thing. And th this is what's been going on now for years. And God sends the prophet to them and he says, you know, you need to, uh, have you noticed how when you, when you, you go, you, you scatter your seed and when it comes harvest, you're expecting a lot and there's only a little? You notice how there's blight and mildew and how your, your crops get knocked down by the weather, how you, you go to gather up the wine and there's not near as much as what you thought there was going to be. You need to get busy about the business of God. You need to get busy about the, the kingdom of God and not just living your life, not just, not just uh, going around your day-to-day routine and everything and forgetting to build what I've called you to build. So he does that, the people obey and they start the process and then God comes back and he speaks to them a second time. And so we're going to pick up there in chapter two of Haggai, the first nine verses, hear the word of the Lord. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? They're starting to rebuild the temple. How do you see it now? Is it as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, 
Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace declares the Lord of hosts. God, we thank you for your word. Pray, God, that you would anoint it to our hearts, that you would speak down deep into us, Lord, even into me. As I deliver this, I pray, God, that you would speak through me, <clears throat> that you would speak to the hearts of these who are, are here right now. Lord, I know sometimes you speak words that I don't say, and that's okay. But speak, Lord, because we need to feast upon your word. We need to be nourished by you. Send us forth, Lord God, full of your word, full of your spirit, full of your truth, full of your love, that we might see this world transformed. And let us walk in faith to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So God, here we see God's call and then God's promise. We're going to be looking at those two aspects of, of this today. And in God's calling to his people here, there's a threefold call, right? We've already talked about they're back. They're, now they're, they've been back for a long time. God's on them and said, hey, let's get about the business that you're supposed to be doing here. And they get started building the temple. And so he gives them a threefold call as encouragement to get started. Be strong, do the work, fear not, or as I like to put it from looking at it from the other direction, have faith. Be strong, fear not, have faith. So the first part of this calling he gives is to be strong. He gives them the, the word that they can do this because he has enabled them. God has given them all that they need uh, to, to do the work that's ahead of them. He's giving them, given them the abilities. He's given them the, 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 uh, the strength that is there for them. That's why he says, be strong. It's there already. Be strong. Walk in it. Walk in the strength that I have given you. Be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Notice here, God is calling every level of Hebrew society. He's calling Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel's... Boom. <laughs> you know, we had uh, my secretary at my old church grew up in the church and said when she was little, the pastor who was there was, whenever you come to those, those names you can't pronounce, just say Tea Kettle. Um, and so what Tea Kettle, son of Tea Kettle. Uh, <laughs> when, no, Zerubbabel was, was there. He was direct descendant in the line of David uh, through David's son, Nathan. You read it, he's, he's in the genealogy of Joseph. He is if there had been no captivity, he is one who is eligible to be sitting on the throne of David. 
He is there, and, and that was known, and that's why when Cyrus sent them back to the land, told them they could go back and rebuild the temple, he was made governor because he was really in line to be king. And then Joshua, he says, be strong, O Joshua. Joshua is the high priest directly from Aaron's line. He was next in line. If Solomon's temple was still there, he would have been the high priest. So he was given that authority. First thing they did when they got back is built the altar so they could start the sacrificial system again, even before they had the temple in place. But they had this... uh, system that, and now they're working and he's saying, be strong. And we see Zerubbabel as, as the governor, as, as the king figure, you know, in our, in our church today, we could compare that, um, to our, our elders, Steve and Ron and Neil and Jim and Gary. They carry the mantle of the leadership in the church today. They carry the mantle of, of having to discern the will of God for our body. And it's, it's a mantle that God has given them, but it's also a great responsibility, and it's easy to be overwhelmed when you're in that position. I know, I've been there. And it's, it's really, as you are trying to discern the mind of Christ, that's a, that's a huge um, weight shall we say. It's not a burden, it's, but it is a weight. And, and as you, you carry that weight, you need to be strong. So God is calling Zerubbabel to be strong as the governance in the land. Joshua, the high priest, I, I kind of liken him to the rest of the staff at church. Where Joshua, is the, he ministered before God and, and to the people. You know, it, he's the, the man in between, going to God, going to the people. And, the, and as they do this, that's the function of a priest to do that, to stand, be the intermediary between God and man. While the, the elders kind of give direction and we mediate that to the people. And then, you know, sometimes we hear stuff and we bring it to the elders and bring back. And we tattle on you. Uh, <laughs> we just, but we take good things. We say, hey, this is what we're hearing. I don't know if you're hearing this, but just we need to be in communication one with another. And, and we've, as we carry out the ministry, as we do all the functions of the things that are going on in the church. And then there's the call for all the people of the land, you, to be strong, walk in the strength and the enablement that God has given you as we move forward, as we, we, we carry out the business of the kingdom of God, as we work towards the goals that are, God has given us, this is what we're called to do. See, Israel had been living just a fairly routine life, not unlike us today. We got back, and this includes, I mean, the high priest was going about his business. Zerubbabel was the governor. He's going about his administrative business. People are going about their business, farming, uh, store owners, uh, market, all this stuff. Um, There probably weren't any uh, computer 
specialists then, but other than that, there was a, you know, all the normal day-to-day stuff of life. It was going on. And as they're doing this, they're pursuing their business, they're taking care of their own things, they're watching over their own houses, they're putting themselves and their needs uh, before anything else and unintentionally as a result before God. We don't ever mean to put stuff before God. As followers of Jesus, we, we know what it is to be removed from, from the, carrying the burden of sin. We have the weight of the responsibility of a follower of Jesus, but, but we understand that God is on the throne. God is Lord of all. God has made a way. But yet we're still dealing with this, and it's so easy to get caught up in the routine, and God kind of gets shoved to the side. We put him in his God box. We get him out each morning when we open up our Bibles and spend a few, t- few minutes in prayer and in the Word. We get him out again and let him stay out longer on Sundays. But other than that, he goes back in the God box and we get busy with life. See, it's such typical behavior because our flesh wants to rise up. We get ourselves into the rhythm of the world and we go with the flow of life and we follow the path of limited, if not least, resistance because there's a lot of resistance out there. And we do what Israel said over in in chapter one, that God spoke to them and said, yeah, you've got people here who are saying, it's just not time yet, not time to build yet. The church I served in South Carolina, every time the subject of expansion or building or anything came up, he always got out his book, When It's Time Not to Build. <laughs> and, you know, it just, the senior pastor told me, he says, you know, Kenneth is going to get out his book again at our meeting this week because we're talking about expansion. We're talking about what we need to do to grow. Because we say, it's just not quite time yet. Just let me finish the project I've got, and then we'll start with kingdom work. Just let me take care of this, or let me make sure that I can, you know, build up some funds so I can afford it, and then I can help out with kingdom work. But God says just the opposite. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these things will be added to you. You see, we, we're upside down. We speak about the kingdom as being upside down, but we're the ones who are upside down. When Paul uh, was there in, in Ephesus and the craftsmen all said, you know, this guy who's turning the world upside down is here. No, it's turning the world right side up. And so it doesn't make sense to say, okay, we're going to put God first. We're going to take care of all this first. I'm going to neglect my business. I'm going to neglect, and we're not really neglecting it, but we automatically, our flesh takes us to the opposite end, and we start digging our heels in. But God says, you know, just seek me first. I'll take care of everything else. I will see to it that things are taken care of. You will see the blessing of God if you put me first. If you make me an afterthought, well, I won't kill you. 
but you'll just scrape by. Why not walk in the abundance I have for you if you put me first, rather than you walking in my afterthoughts? God never calls you to a task without supplying what you need to complete it. That's so hard for us to, to grasp sometimes. You know, and here again, this is where we talk about the be strong. What's going on? They, they've been at it for about three and a half weeks. The first prophecy that Haggai brought, the people were convicted, they went to work. It took three and a half weeks to get started, but we're, talk, we're not talking about you know, rapid communication here. They had to get the word out to everyone who was back in Israel and say, hey, we're starting on the temple. Three and a half weeks, they're at it. Now it's been another three and a half weeks they've been working. And you know when you've got a big project and you get about three and a half weeks in and it looks like nothing has happened. It's, you know, there's, yeah, a little dirt moved around. We've got some of these rocks and some of this rubble pulled out of the way. And we can kind of see where things are, are starting. And we, we see the outline of what's going on. But boy, this is overwhelming. Will this ever get done? And so God brings this word. Once again, be strong, O Zerubbabel. Be strong, O Joshua. Be strong, all the people of the land, declares the Lord. See, the people needed the encouragement to continue. They needed to move forward. Clearing rubble by hand takes time. And, you know, these big projects take mind-numbing amounts of time. You think about the, the, the cathedrals in Europe, those, those big old Gothic cathedrals. 150 years, 200 years to build. That's a lot of work that continues and continues and continues and continues and it's, will it ever end? So he says, be strong. When we built in, uh, when I was in Kansas, we built a, a church building and we had to bring a soils engineer out and he had to, to look at the ground and, and, you know, study the compaction of it and everything, ground, ground penetrating radar and out and figure it's, oh, well, we're at 88% compaction. I thought, oh, wow, that's great. <laughs> Needs to be 95. And so they had to come and they, they had to dig out for the foundation. Fortunately, we're farmers. Everybody has heavy equipment. And... Um, yeah, <laughs> hallelujah. Yeah. So you dig out the, where the, the church was going to be, the, where the building was going to stand. And then we had a young teenager who was more than happy to come in and just, they had a sheep's foot, what they call a sheep's foot, which is, compacts the soil. And uh, they had one on the farm. So he brought it in and he spent two days driving back and forth through the hole, add in a little, put a little dirt back in, driving back and forth through the hole, put a little dirt back in, two days. And it's like, <laughs> one, I don't know how he stood just being in there, just driving back and forth on that same half a block. And um, I talk about mind-numbing. But it feels like nothing's happening, but it's what makes 
everything ready, all the prep work, all the doing. The people needed to be strong in order to continue to persevere. They were enabled. God says, walk in your enablement. Second part of God's calling to us is to do the work. He has empowered us. He's given us the strength that we need. He's given us the abilities that we need. He's given us uh, all that we need to, to do. We just need to do it. He says, work, this is in verses 4b and, and start in the middle, middle of verse 4. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when, I, when you came out of Egypt. Says, not only is there an aspect of calling, there's a promise with it. There's encouragement with it. Yes, do this, but know that I am with you. Work, I'm alongside you. When God calls us, he not only supplies what's needed to complete the work, he works with us. God is our yoke fellow. God, as a matter of fact, is the master builder to our common laborer. God does the majority of the work. He gives us the privilege of working alongside him. See, if we try to do that in our own strength, if we try to do it on our own, it's not going to work. What is Psalm 127, first verse, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's all God. This is not to say that we sit back and watch God do the work. God specifically says to work. And at the same time, he blesses us abundantly. He, God magnifies the work of your hands. You know, as, you, as you're leaning on him, as you are, are, are working in his strength, we're called to be strong, as we're working in his power, doing the work, he somehow or another in God's economy, he manages, well, it doesn't manage, he just declares it, I, manages, sounds like he's got, has to figure out a plan. He already knows what it is. God takes what we do and makes it more. Don't know how he does it, but he does it. The third aspect of our calling is to fear not or from looking at it from the other direction have faith see the opposite um, opposite of faith is an unbelief the opposite of faith is fear when you when you get afraid it's because you are looking forward into life looking at the scenario without the benefit of the presence of God in that scenario. This is what is called worry. You look ahead and your mind starts thinking, what's going to happen if this, if this, if this, if this, if this, and if we don't put God into the mix, it ain't going to be good. But when we know that God is with us, that God has empowered us, that God has enabled us, and that God is doing the work alongside of us, we can be encouraged and move forward. 
And then we don't have to walk in fear. He says, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Isn't this the greatest encouragement of all? That God is with us? That God remains in our midst and not only in our midst, but in us? Jesus promised his disciples and and thereby us, when he's speaking to his disciples, he's talking to us. He says, the Holy Spirit is with you, but would be in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. You are a follower of Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the spirit of the living God lives in you and the spirit is given without measure. You have all that God has for you in the Holy Spirit living in you right now. Why should we be afraid? Psalm 27, it's not on the screen, but the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? We have no need to fear because God is with us. We can walk in faith. See, you have it so, or we have it so infinitely better than what Israel did. You think about Israel in the wilderness. They had the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And we think, wouldn't that be so cool? Wouldn't that be so cool to stand at the foot of Sinai and and just be kind of afraid because God's up there talking to Moses and there's thunder and lightning and fire and smoke and all of this stuff and and we, we crave an experience in our flesh, but we have better than an experience in our flesh, we have the Spirit of God in us. And so we can walk forward in faith. See, we have the witness of the indwelling spirit of the living God in our hearts. Romans 6.16 tells us the spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. Our heavenly father is attentive and caring and kind and loving and compassionate towards his children. He calls you to be strong and he will strengthen you. He calls you to work. He will empower you. And he calls you to have faith in him. And he promises he will never leave us or forsake us. Be strong. Do the work. Have faith. So where is that taking us? Harvest Church. Let's take a look at God's promise. See, God's promise to his people is that he would be with them just as he has always been. So God asks this question through Haggai to the people. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? They looked at the foundations that was there and and those who were older and they saw where the new foundation was starting to be laid and these older ones who had seen it before the exile to Babylon were grieved in their hearts. 
it was going to be different. It was going to be less glorious. But at the same time, the younger ones were overjoyed and they were shouting for joy. And this second temple was just nothing like Solomon's temple. It was plain. Where's the gold and the silver and the bronze? Where's all the, the carved decoration? Where is all this, this other uh, ornamented beauty that just reminded us of who God was and what he had done for us and that he was the creator of all, that he brought us out of Egypt, that all of this was happening and, and now we, you know, it's, well, it's stone. But then again, the young ones had never seen the temple and they were, it was amazing for them. You, you go back to the book of Ezra, you read about this. Uh, Ezra chapter 3 Starting at the 10th verse, it says, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord, according to the direction of David, king of Israel. In other words, if we've looked back at the scriptures, this is what we're supposed to do. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to God, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout, and they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of people's weeping, for the people shouted with a great shout. And the sound was heard far away. So often the case, younger ones rejoice at something new and different and, and fresh. And we who have, so we say, more years behind us than ahead of us. I don't expect to live to 128. Um, <laughs> but we grieve when there's change. We grieve when something is different. Seems when you're young and your life is spread out ahead of you, everything is fresh and new and exciting and interesting. And then when we become a little <clears throat> more mature, we embrace the past and the familiar and the safe and the secure. You see, this is why God not only calls us to do things he provides for it, and he makes a promise with the calling. That word of encouragement, that word of strengthening, that word of hope, that word that doesn't make any difference where we are, I am with you. God not only reminds the people in our passage that he will continue to be faithful to his covenant promise that he made when they left Egypt, which... Go back to Exodus 27 and says this, I will dwell among the people of Israel and I will be their God and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. That's the promise that he made as they were coming out of Egypt. He further promises that what seems different and new and uncomfortable will be truly more glorious than what was familiar and stable and safe. 
Verse 9, the glory of this house shall be greater than the former. The glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. You know, he also promises them not only that their space would be more glorious than the old space. He promises them, look, once in, in, in just a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the seas and the dry lands and all nations and all the treasure of the nations will come to you. The silver is mine. The gold is mine. I will take care of it. If you're obedient, then just do what I've called you to do. You don't have to worry about it. I love worshiping in this space. You know, uh, this is part of what drew us here when we came because it's, it's, well, old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, reminded me of myself. Uh, <laughs> it's old. Uh, but it's, it's cozy and, and it's comfortable and there's a spirit of love here, a spirit of worship here. Not just a, a spirit of worship that gets us, gets us around the temple and, and, you know, having a good time in Jesus, but we enter into the Holy of Holies where we can fall on our face before God. That just really, really drew us. That was part of, of why we came. We looked at other places after I retired from uh, my old church. And we found places that were good and the word was being preached, but in worship, we kind of felt like we never really quite entered in. And, and we felt that here. And we felt the love of the people here. We felt like this is a place we can fit. And, and our space had a lot to do with it. I think I shared with you before. I used to think that was the loft. terminology but God has seen fit to cause us to outgrow this space it's holiday weekend so we've got some empty chairs right now but, but God has been blessing and blessing and blessing to the point where we, we've outgrown it the truth is that on Sunday mornings, especially in second service, over half of our congregation is in the other venues. We don't realize that here in the sanctuary because we come in and we get here early enough so we get a seat and it feels like this is us and it's full and it feels so good. And, but we don't realize that over half of our congregation is out there. Between our two services, there's 80, or I mean 160 to 190 people that meet here in the sanctuary in two services. But there's 220 to 250 in the other spaces. I meet new people every Sunday. I see new faces every Sunday, people I have never seen before here. And some of them have been coming here far longer than I have. But I don't get to see them because they're in different places. I, I ask many people, oh, is this your first Sunday here? No, I've been here for seven years. <laughs> I was having a tough enough time learning all of your names, and now we've got all these new people. Praise God. See, I've got white hair. I don't have to remember everybody's names. <laughs> 
God is doing great things here. You know, from a nuts and bolts of ministry standpoint, just from a a state of practicality, we don't have room here to to do the ministry that God is calling us to. Jeremy mentioned in the in the announcements this morning about our prayer ministry. You know, you can be on our prayer chain. Fifty-two email addresses on our prayer chain that when we get requests that I send out. We have the prayer group that meets on Thursday morning. Small, I'd love to see many more of you be a part of that. Eight o'clock, some people say eight o'clock is too early. Um, I get there, and that's a a big deal. Um, But it's, um, and then we have, people who are ready to pray with you every Sunday at the end of the service. We like to invite people to come forward if they have a need of prayer, if they need to respond to the word that was given, or if there's some other special need. <clears throat> we have people assigned to pray when the, uh, the elders are, most of them come to second service, but they're here, we're ready to pray. And very rarely do people come. Because when they do come, there isn't room, and people are walking by, and it gets interrupted and whatnot. We, we need more space. You already have heard that we're having to turn kids away from Sunday school. So we need to expand. God has bigger things in store for us bigger things in in congregational growth. And it's not just about being bigger. Um, We talk about this all the time at staff. We've had a lot of folks transfer in from other churches, and we're so glad to have you. Glad you're here. Uh, But God's kingdom isn't about moving sheep from one pasture to another. We need to go out and find the lost sheep and bring them in. Jesus says, I have sheep not of this fold, And they need to be found and brought back and brought in. And so as we're limited in space here, we need more room so we can grow. We can do bigger things in ministry and prayer and training and evangelism. We can do much bigger things uh, in missions, both at home and abroad. We can do much better things in ministering to our community. And all these things will be easier and more practically facilitated if we have that space over there at 102 West Branch. And you know, we have a five-year lease there. And uh, what I've been praying is, oh, Lord, when that five years is up, I pray that that's not enough space. I pray we have to move again. I think I've shared with some of you before. A friend of mine told me, he says, you know, Dave, you'd be hard-pressed to find it in Scripture, but I'm sure there will be moving in hell. (laughs) We have lived, in our married life, we have lived in 10 different places. Done a lot of moving. In our ministry years, we have been involved in three church building projects and one church moving project. You get into those new spaces and it's uncomfortable for a little while. Kind of feel like, ooh, yeah, it's kind of exciting to be here, but I'm not even sure exactly where, which cupboard to put the canned goods in in the kitchen. 
How, uh, how are we going to arrange the closets? How are we going to do this? What's, what about that? In the new churches, it's, well, yeah, we kind of think this is the way Sunday school is going to be laid out in those new classrooms, but chances are we're going to have to rearrange and do other things. And it's, it feels a little bumpy for a little while. But soon it's home. It doesn't take long because home isn't about the space Home is about the people who are gathered there. The people that fill the space. That's what home is about. We've, um, and so it will be with us. See, God never changes. Remember Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. But he is an agent of change in our lives. He constantly is working in us to change, to, to, um, to transform us, to grow us, to renew us, to change us, as it says in, in 2 Corinthians, from one degree of glory to another, and until that one day when he will glorify us, when we cross over and then at the resurrection get our glorified bodies and we'll be like Jesus, have a body like Jesus. Like he could, you know, walk through door or walk through walls. Great, showed up in the, with the apostles in the upper room uh, on the night of his resurrection when all the doors were bolted and locked. He was just there. That'd be kind of cool. Just go out and walk out this way. And this upcoming move that we're making is part of that process of being transformed and grown and renewed and changed for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Be strong. Do the work. Be full of faith. Let's pray. And I want you to make a note of this to pray this week and continue while we're in the process. Building projects take notoriously longer than what the time budgeted is. Thanks, worship team. Um, when we built in Kansas, after all that driving back and forth with the sheep's foot, they promised we started in August and they promised us we'd be in at the end of the year. At the end of March, I finally told the contractors, we, our dedication is scheduled for next week. We will be in. And they finished. So be patient. This is where it can get discouraging when things take longer than what we think they're going to take. Oh, I would love to say we're going to be in next month. I doubt it. But know that God can do it and work around all the hoops that have to be jumped through and get the work done. So be strong. Do the work. Have faith. And have willing hearts to follow after what God is doing. Let's pray. God, we come to you now and we, we pray for strength. You said be strong, so Lord, we know as we come to you and pray for strength, you will strengthen us because it's your will for us. It's your word to us that we would do so. Thank you, Lord God, as to, to help us to persevere in the tasks because you have enabled us to do all that you're calling us to do. Help us, Lord Jesus, to do the work the work that needs to be done, whether it's on the building or whether it's in the ministry or whether it's in 
reaching out and doing the work of the kingdom, just loving our neighbors as we love ourselves, uh, and loving you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, Lord God. You have empowered us by your spirit to do that. So we will do the work. Help us. And Lord, help us to be full of faith, to not walk in fear, that we might overcome any intimidation and any opposition that we might face. Thank you, God, that that promise of your spirit, the guarantee that you put in our hearts, that your spirit bearing witness with our spirit that gives us the encouragement to stand in the face of opposition. And finally, Lord, give us willing hearts. Willing hearts that we might follow after your leading and that we would trust you that we would not look ahead in worry, that we would not look back in grief, but that we would look forward to all you're doing and what you have done and take the history of what you've done and that you will embolden us to live up to this calling that you have given us because of the promise that you have made to us. Lord, I pray if there are any here who don't know what it is to be filled with your spirit, don't know what it is to be born again, made new in Jesus Christ, to be a new creature in Christ, new creation in Christ Jesus, because they're still bound in sin, because they have never responded to the truth of the gospel. I just pray that your spirit would speak to them this morning and draw them to yourself because you are God, and you love them, and you want them to be your children. Thank you, Jesus. We pray all this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship, and then if, if you need prayer for anything, there will be people up here after, after we worship this morning. So let's go to the Lord. You unravel me. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till long my fears have gone and I'm
grace and mercy is with you. For these are blessings, these are teachings, that I might bring you in to the kingdom of God. That will strengthen your kingdom thinking. That will bring you forward and through the mm -hmm. hardest times. Amen. For my strength is in you. My heart is with you. My protection is with you. Look for blessing in all things. For this is my grace and my mercy. a moment when the lights went out when death had claimed its victory the king of love had given up his life the darkest day in history there on a cross they made for sinners His blood atoned. One final breath, and it was finished. But not the end we could have known. For the earth began to shake, and the veil was torn. What sacrifice was made?
just sing that again. All hail King Jesus. All hail King Jesus. All hail King Jesus. All hail King Jesus. feel there's somebody here on campus today. I don't know if you're here in the sanctuary or if you're in the loft or on the patio, but you need to be set free. That we've been singing about breaking bonds and breaking chains and being set free and you just feel like I'm not free. Do you know you've been trapped in darkness. You've been trapped in a place of where you feel as if you thought you were free, but you're, you've been in a dungeon. So reminded of uh, Charles Wesley's old hymn where one of the verses says, I was in the darkness of night, trapped in nature's night, bound in chains. I can't remember the words now, but you came and you set us free, Lord God. You set us free. And for you, if you're out there and you feel bondage, if you feel something is holding you back, if you sense the weight of your sin, and even if you feel like, oh, what I have done is far beyond, God could never forgive me, don't let the enemy lie to you like that. He's saying that to you because he doesn't want to lose you out of his kingdom into the kingdom of God. You can never be to God. God's arm is not too short. If you need to know Jesus today, just, just come to him in your heart. You speak from your heart. You can even speak without moving your mouth if you need to. But just say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner and I know I'm lost. I know I don't deserve forgiveness, but would you come in and forgive me anyway? And he will. And he'll make you new. And if you've done that today, I want you to tell somebody. Look for a staff member. If you're here in the sanctuary, you come tell me. If you're in the patio or the loft, look for one of the staff members. Tell them, you know, today I, I just feel like I need to be set free. And they'll talk to you and just give you more information and help you get started. Thank you, God, for your grace once again. That amazing, amazing grace. Amen.